Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast. Valley Point Church is a faith community located in Glen Mills, PA. Our mission is pointing people to real relationships and real significance. This talk continues week eight of our series, The Story. Enjoy and thanks for listening. Let's begin with a question today. Ready? Have you ever felt that no matter how hard you try, you just can't win? Have you ever felt that no matter how hard you try, you just can't win? Let me roll out some examples. Have you ever felt like you just can't get ahead financially? And for whatever reason, that just hasn't worked out for you and you feel like you're losing? Or have you ever felt like you can't get your dream job and you hear about everybody else landing the jobs of their dreams, but you're stuck and unfulfilled, and you feel like you're losing. Or have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt that your family somehow just doesn't measure up to that family, and that family is perfect and has it all together, and then there's your family, and you just kind of feel like you're losing? For the students in the room, Have you ever felt that you're not as smart as that student? And there's all this pressure on you to get good grades. And you try, honestly, you try, but you feel like you're losing. Or perhaps you love the thrill of sports and competition, but everybody else is stronger and faster and you can't compete and you feel like you're losing. Have you ever felt that no matter how hard you try, you can't win? I graduated from Yorkville High School in Yorkville, Illinois in 1988, and it was a great year. One of the things that made it a great year is that our football team was undefeated. We were really good, and we just rolled over teams. It was a really fun thing to be a part of. As freshmen, we were undefeated, never lost a game. As sophomores, we were undefeated. And then as juniors, we had to play with the class of 1987. Now, no offense to anybody in here who graduated in 1987, but that class had a few issues, and so we lost a couple of games that year. But then, when we became seniors, we were undefeated again. We never lost. Now, I say we. I was never a part of the team. I never played a down of football. I had all of these friends with great, big, gigantic football bodies, and then there was me. Can you imagine? Which is kind of interesting, because in my mind, one of the things I have always wanted to be, besides a pastor, which I love my job and I love my work, so the only other thing I've ever dreamed about being is an offensive lineman in football. I would love to be the one who, when the ball is hiked and there is a sweep, that I'm running out and looking for someone to run over. That just sounds like a lot of fun to me. I actually have a picture. Check this out. So when I look in the mirror, this is what I see. A great big football body. And, you know, some people have talked to me that when I pray, I often point Well, I point when I play football, too, and this is how I picture myself, a great big football 
body, but it never happened for me. God had other dreams and other realities for me. So being a football star, it never happened. Let me ask you this. Do you have hopes, dreams, and desires? And would it appear that those things will never happen for you? Like, it's just not a reality. And do you sense that when it comes to your hopes and your dreams and your desires that you are losing? If that has ever been you, or if that's you right now, then I want to introduce you to somebody today who will inspire and be an example for all of us about how God sees us and has something for us. This person's name is Gideon. And we find his story in the book of Judges. And so if you have a Bible or a device, I would love for you to find the book of Judges. It is the seventh book in the Old Testament. So the first five books of the Old Testament are known as the Pentateuch. It's the first five books. The word pent means five, and the word tukost means scrolls. So these are the first five scrolls, or the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then there is Joshua, and then there is the book of Judges, and that's where we're going to hang out today. Last week, we talked about Joshua, and what a remarkable thing happened last week. God's people, after many years, are finally in the promised land. They are finally occupying and enjoying what God said was rightfully theirs. They are in, and they are having a great time. In Joshua chapter 11, we find some very interesting words where it says that Joshua divided up the land amongst the people. He was actually giving the land away. They are in, they have conquered, they have won, and now Joshua is dividing up the land and he's giving it away. This is what God said is ours. We made it. We're here. We've been obedient to God and now we get to enjoy the promised land. And so he's dividing it up. And then we find something fascinating in that chapter. It says, the land had rest from war. There's actually peace in the land. And so God's people are occupying, things are looking good. God's presence is in the tabernacle. He is with them. They have a set of laws that are guiding and directing them. They have a sacrificial system where they can pay and atone for their sins. Life is looking really good. And that brings us to the book of Judges. Now, the historical purpose of Judges is to carry the story of Israel from the death of Joshua to the time of the United Kingdom. So from the death of Joshua, there is a time frame before we get to the point where God's people have kings that rule over them. This period is known as the time of the Judges, where God raises up these individuals to guide and direct God's people. So there's the death of Joshua. There is a period of Judges before the United Kingdom. The events covered in Judges range from about 1380 to 1045 B.C., or approximately 335 years, if you're interested in that. And here's what we need to know about these Judges. 
First of all, they were basically the rulers. They were the ones guiding and directing. They were the ones in charge of this great nation. And then secondly, God uses them to deliver his people. And we're going to find out that God's people get into trouble again. And that is a pattern that seems to happen quite a bit. By the way, that's true of them. It's also true of us. And so God raises up these judges. They're there to rule and to take care of God's people. They're also there to deliver God's people out of their different messes. So here's our upper story statement for today. Here's the big idea of what God is doing. And that is God helps those who turn to him. He does. And we're going to discover this as God's people get into trouble again, which is kind of puzzling. They forget about God. They turn away from God, which seems strange. Like, why can't you just remember what God has done for you and how good he's been to you? But they kind of forget about that. And so they turn away from God and they get into trouble. And before we're too judgmental about them, Let's not forget that we often do the very same thing. So listen, I want everybody to lean in for a moment because I want you to know this and understand this. That is, God helps those who turn to him. That's just true. God helps those who turn to him. God helps those who turn to him. And I want you to know this and to be able to walk out of here today saying that. So let's say it together. Ready? God helps those who turn to him. Again, God helps those who turn to him. Our problem is we often don't do that. So God says, I help those who turn to me. That's my promise. This is my assurance. This is what I will do. Often we don't turn to God. We push that to the side for other options that may appear to be a bit more sophisticated than just turning to God. That's too easy, that's too simple, and God may not come through. So I'll come up with something that is a bit better. And I think the whole time God just kind of shakes his head and says, I do and I will help those who turn to me. The question becomes, will we? Will we? Will we turn to the God who helps? And that choice is obviously ours. So upper story, God helps those who turn to him. Now let's think about the lower story or what's happening on earth during this time frame. Well, in our scripture reading this morning, we discovered that a new generation rose into leadership and they forgot about God And so they find themselves in a bit of trouble. And what we find throughout the rest of the book of Judges is that God raises up several different individuals to begin to guide and direct his people. On the screen, you will see the big list of who these different judges are. I'm not going to take time to walk through each and every one of them, but you can read and you can see and you can observe their names and what they did and how God worked through them. Again, these different judges, they're guiding and they're directing and there is the list in front of you. I'm going to take some time today to talk a little bit about Gideon because he has a great story that will inspire and set an example for all of us. What we find in the second chapter of Judges 
is a miniature of the whole book. So if you don't want to read the whole book of Judges, all the different chapters, that's okay. You don't have to do that. I would encourage you to think about reading through all of chapter 2 because it is a miniature of what happens. People, a new generation rises up. They forget about God. They begin to do their own thing. And then we find that they fall into a pattern. There's a pattern of what happens to them. And here's the pattern. It's actually three movements. And I want to describe these three movements to you. And as we talk about what happens during these three movements, I don't want you just to think about these poor people and these poor individuals and what happened to them. Because it's easy to do that. Oh, that's really unfortunate for them. Because this stuff happened, but it happens. And so we've got to throw ourselves into the narrative we got to throw ourselves into the story because we do the exact same thing. So let's think about this pattern that God's people fell into. Again, it is three different movements. Here's movement number one. We can call it sin. In Judges, it talks about how they forgot about God and they began to worship other idols. Which God said, that's a problem. You can't do that. That is actually an offense to me. That is a sin. Now, we would look at that movement and say, well, that's not really my problem. I don't worship other idols, but yet, here's a definition of what an idol is. It's anything that takes priority over God. Anything. Might not be an image. Could be anything else that takes priority over God. That's an idol. So I think it's fair to say that we all probably have some idols. Things that occasionally, or maybe a lot, take priority over God. Well, that's a problem. And so what we discover in their movements is right away we find sin. Here's the second movement. It's oppression. And what God would do, because he is a just God and there is a price and a penalty for sin, is that he would bring in other nations to put pressure on the people that he loved to force them to look up and to acknowledge God and to recognize what they have done wrong. He oppresses them a bit, not because he's a mean God, but because he loved his people and he wanted them to properly respond to his greatness once again. And so the second movement involves repentance. And then what we see happening in the third movement is repentance. God's people would recognize that we don't like how we're feeling right now. We don't like what's happening. And so instead of moving in this direction, we're going to do an about face. We're going to repent. And that's the idea of the word repentance. I once was moving over here, but now I'm going in a whole different direction. And we would find this happening over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges. Here's the fascinating thing about this book. This cycle, these three movements happen six or seven different times. God's people would sin, they would be oppressed, they would repent, they would do an about face and go in a whole new direction, and the favor of God would rest on them. And then a new generation would come into power, and they would sin. 
They would be oppressed. Pressure would come into their lives to change. They would repent. And once again, the favor of God would rest on them for a period of time. And then another generation would come up. So six or seven different times, we find this movement happening throughout the book of Judges. And again, you see this pattern really beginning in Judges chapter 2. Now, I look at this chart here. And these three different movements, sin, oppression, and repentance. And I see the mercy of God here, which is really quite fascinating. Because we do this stuff. We sin. We fall short of God's glorious standard of perfection. We all do this. And there's a consequence for that. Sometimes we have oppression that comes into our lives. God is looking for us to repent at that moment, to do an about face, to make things right with him and move toward him. And here's the promise we have from God. He always takes us back, which is incredible. God always takes us back. So I look at this And I see the mercy of God on full display. He is so patient. He's so patient. He was patient with his people way back then. He's patient with us. And he is patient with me. And this is very good news for us. So let's not just think about what happened to the people way back into the day. we got to personalize this and throw ourselves into this narrative and realize we do these things too. So these are the three different cycles, sin and oppression and then repentance, which takes us to one little judge named Gideon. Now, I call him little, not to pick on him, but that's actually what he said about himself. That's what he thought. He was weak and insignificant, and certainly God's not going to be able to do anything through him to help His people, God's people, repent. That was in the mind of Gideon. So let's remember, God's people have sinned. We now find them being oppressed by the Midianites. And so God begins to tap on the shoulder of Gideon. And here's what we read in Judges chapter 6, verse 2. Here's what it says about the Midianites. These are some great people. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count. And they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. All right, so we're seeing they're being oppressed. And what we discover in verse 6 is that they're crying out to the Lord for help. What happens next is that God approaches Gideon, who's just kind of a normal guy trying to survive what the Midianites are doing to them. Verse 14, then the Lord turned to him, to Gideon, and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? 
My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least or the youngest in my entire family. And here's the response. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. And if you like to mark or underline or circle or highlight, whatever you like to do in your Bible, I would encourage you to mark that right there. A very significant statement. Because quite honestly, what else do you need? Right? Like if we have the promise of God's presence in our lives, what else do we actually need? By the way, if you have trusted in Jesus alone to save you, God tells us at that moment, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives and he lives within us. We have the presence of God in us. What else do we need? See, with him, we have it all. We have it all. This is a significant promise here. And then there's some back and forth between God and Gideon and Gideon finally agrees, all right, I can do this. And so he puts together an army and then things get kind of interesting. Judges chapter seven now, verse two. Gideon's got his army together. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors. That doesn't make any sense, right? can never have too many of them, I wouldn't think, but that's what God said. You've got too many warriors. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they save themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 people said, yeah, that's me. And they went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. And so Gideon starts with a pretty good number of warriors, but they get a little freaked out. Verse 4, But the Lord told Gideon, There are still too many. Bring them down to the spring, and I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. And when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, Divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. And the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. Sounds like a bad idea. Doesn't it? Scholars tell us that the Midianite army may have numbered close to 200,000. Whatever that number was, Gideon and his warriors knew. They knew all about that. Remember, they were like swarms of locusts, and they've got all these camels. Imagine camels coming after you with their weird mouths, and it's just kind of creepy. And they knew this about who they were fighting. And God continues to whittle the army down to 300 individuals. This makes absolutely no sense at all. But upper story, God helps those who turn to him. That's just what he does. And that's how he operates. And God wanted to be sure that nobody got credit for this but him. And so he whittles this army down And here's what we discover in verse 19. It was just after midnight 
after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp, they divided into three parts. Suddenly they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars. They held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they all shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Each man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. Those who were not killed fled. So Gideon, the runt of the weakest family in the weakest tribe, leads a ragamuffin group of individuals to a victory over the great Midianites. And God, God got all the credit for it. That's the lower story. That's what's happening on earth with one of these judges. So what about my story? I mean, how can I use something as crazy as what we discover in Judges 6 and 7 in my life today? How does this even work? I have two thoughts for you. Number one, God is able to use the weakest and the smallest. God is fully capable of doing that. So let me just say, if you feel weak or small, if you have ever felt that way, you're in great shape. You're in great shape because God is able to use the weakest and the smallest. And the pattern of what we discover in Scripture, page after page after page, story after story after story, is that God does not often use the mighty and the strong. He uses the weak and the small to accomplish great things for him so that he gets ultimately all of the credit. And so if you have ever felt or you feel right now weak and small, you're in a great place. You're in a great place because you are the individual that God is looking for to accomplish his purposes in your family, in your school, in your workplace, in your community, and wherever it is that God takes you. He wants to use the weak and the small. So if you've ever felt that way, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And God likes to use the weak and the small. You're in a good place. So be really encouraged with that today, okay? Secondly, God will take us back. And I think this is an incredible thought about the bigness of God. He will take us back all of the time. But here's what it takes. There is a step of repentance And so maybe you've had some things happen in your life. Nobody else needs to know about that. God knows. And maybe some things have happened and you're in a place where it's just time for you to repent. And remember, we talked about repentance. Instead of walking this way, I do an about face and I'm now moving in this direction. I'm moving toward God instead of away from him. And maybe today you just need a little bit of time to get alone somewhere with God and say the same thing about your sin that he would say. By the way, that's all that confession is. 
It's saying the same thing that God would say about this. It's acknowledging what God already knows. And in doing that, I can repent and I can begin a whole new journey. And God will always take us back. Always. And one of the things that we learn from the entire book of Judges is that there is this pattern of sin, oppression, and repentance. It happens again and again and again. And God consistently takes his people back. And I want you to know that God will take you back no matter what's happened, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God will take you back. But it involves a step of repentance. And maybe, just maybe, that's the step that you need to take between you and God today. I would encourage you, if that's stirring inside of you, and if you're thinking about that, if God is pushing something into your mind right now that you need to take care of, that you not ignore that. Don't push it away. That's really an easy thing to do. But let's not do that. Let's just decide that we'll get into the movement here, recognizing that God will always take me back. Upper story. God helps those who turn to him. That's just what he does. And he likes doing that, and he's really good at it. Really good. God will help those who turn to him. Let's take the example of Gideon and the inspiration that he provides and the example that is there, as well as the entire book of Judges. And let's remember, God uses the weak, he uses the small, and he'll always take me back because God helps those who turn to him. Father, we're so thankful for what we discover throughout the entirety of the book of Judges. This is just a marvelous book that helps us to learn from the example of others. And God, they didn't always get it right, and neither do we. So I pray that you would help us to think about whatever it is that you want for us today. God, maybe we just need to be really encouraged in our weakness and in our smallness, that you like that and you want that. And God, maybe we've been making excuses like what Gideon did. God, you can't use me. I'm the youngest in my family. I'm from the weakest tribe. There's a lot of other people that you can use. And God, I think we often do the same thing. We look out and say, use her. Use him. God, you might be tapping on our shoulder saying, I want to use you to make a difference in your school, in your workplace, in your home, in your community. I want you. And God, I pray that you'd also help us to recognize and to know that you will always take us back. So if we're hanging on to something, God, would you help us to get real with you? Would you help us to do that so that we can honestly, honestly walk with you instead of away from you? I'd like for you just to keep your head bowed for a moment, your eyes closed. Would you just have a moment with God, just talk to him, have a conversation with him from your heart to his ears? He's going to hear it. Just talk to him. Maybe there's something you need to take care of. Maybe there's a bit of repentance that needs to happen here. Or maybe you just need to answer the call of being weak and small. Tell God you're available. Just talk to him for a moment.
thank you for this time would you help us to be real with you God help us to take this example of a person named Gideon a real person who lived and did something pretty spectacular God you had to convince him I think you've got to do the same with us often so help us to be ready Help us to be serious and willing and available. And God, as we just continue now to respond to you, may this be genuine and heartfelt. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.